Pastor Xavier Reese and the source of true power. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. The things that he calls me to do, he'll give me the strength. That doesn't mean I have the strength to do anything I want. And we start going on our own, depending on ourselves. But those things that he calls me to do, he supplies the means by which to fulfill it. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Zechariah 4.6, right? There's the key. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Healing, wealth, relationships, success. What's the most important aspect of prayer? Now, it's true prayer is powerful, but today Pastor Xavier explores the most important aspect of prayer. Let's join him for this encouraging message from his current series on the book of Ephesians, beginning with the text for today. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 21. And the message is entitled, Prayer to Be Like Christ. Paul the Apostle began with the idea of praying for the Ephesians once again at the beginning of the chapter. But the Holy Spirit led him to declare details regarding this call to the gospel. In verses 1 through 7, he deals with the messenger of the gospel. And in verses 8 through 13, the ministry of the gospel. The apostle now returns to his original intent to pray for the Ephesians for the second time when he comes to verse 14. His first prayer was for illumination or revelation in verses 15 and 23 of chapter 1. His second prayer is for enabling and empowerment for their lives. Now, Paul's prayer is marked by three things, three divisions. Verses 14 to 21. Let me read them for you. For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom all the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with his might through the Holy Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's prayer is marked by three divisions. And we want to look at it this way. First of all, the introduction to the prayer, verse 14 and 15. And secondly, the intercession of the prayer, verses 16 through 19. And then lastly, the intoxication through prayer, verse 20 and 21. Let's begin with the introduction to the prayer. Notice first the purpose behind Paul's prayer is due to all that God had done for the Gentiles in Christ. The phrase for this reason, is the same as in the opening of the chapter. For Paul has digressed for 12 verses. He opened up by saying, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. And then he begins to deal with the gospel. The focus went into the messenger. And then the focus continued on the ministry 
But now the phrase for this reason reflects back to what Paul has just revealed about the conversion of the Gentile as well as the Jew making them one in Christ. So when we look at for this reason in verse 14, we have to look back to verse 1. And for what reason is he praying? What has he just told us? In verse 19 of chapter 2, that the Gentiles were no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In 20, the Gentiles had a solid foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Verse 21, that the Gentiles were joined together and they were growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And verse 22, that the Gentiles were being built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. Now Paul is ministering this and telling them this, and in the same time that he's telling it, he's getting blessed, and he just has to turn around and just thank God for what he's done. I mean, he's getting blessed. Notice secondly, the posture of Paul in prayer is kneeling. Paul declares, I bow my knee. The usual Hebrew prayer seems to be while standing. Jesus told of the practice of being hypocritical. And he says, don't stand in the synagogues or the street corners to bring attention to yourself in Matthew 6, 5. There's always that tendency to want to appear more spiritual than we are or to glory in what we really are not. And Jesus frowns upon that. And certainly we, we would not want people to bring attention to themselves because our attention should be upon Jesus Christ. And often people use the church as a theater or display for their own glory. That should never be. Our focus is to be upon Jesus Christ. And yet we do find all manner of physical postures throughout prayer, not just standing. You remember Solomon in 1 Kings 8 as he dedicated the temple. He was standing with his hands stretched out. By the time he finished, he was on his knees with his hands stretched out, his face lifted. It's a beautiful posture of surrender, of desiring God to minister unto you, to supply your need, of a position of reverence, if you will. So there are many postures within the scriptures. Here Paul chooses kneeling. Kneeling communicates the idea of intensity, urgency, humility, and submission. You remember Stephen in Acts 7.60 as he knelt down to meet the intense moment of his death. And you know that you, you've prayed at times, and you say, well, okay, let's pray. But then when you're really in a jam, boy, you get down, and you crunch in the ground, and your intensity, man, Lord, hear me, please, help this boy. <laughs> Peter knelt as he prayed for the urgency of the moment when he was going to raise Tabitha in Acts 9.40. Paul knelt in humility before the Ephesian elders who he had met with the last time to meet the need of the time by evidence of humility in Acts 20, verse 36. Humble and submissive, kneeling. It has an appropriate place in our life. It declares to God that we understand who he is and who we are. Notice thirdly, the petition of Paul's prayer is to the Father. The latter portion of verse 14 and 15. God is the Father of Jesus Christ our Lord. The fatherhood of God now uh, regarding Jesus is not as we think it in human terms or human relations. The person of Jesus is not to be thought of as having been created by God at one time, and that's why he's his father. 
Because if such was the case, Jesus would be inferior to the Father, and he would have had an existence only at one point in time and not eternally. But such is not the case. The very evidence and declaration that the God is the Father of Jesus Christ demonstrates that there is a reason and a purpose and a plan by which that relationship came about. The plan of salvation. For John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and God was the Word. He always was. He was eternal. And then in verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He has always been. In a point in time, He became man. He was not always man. But he became man at a point in time, but he was always God. Otherwise, he could not be equal to God the Father or the Spirit of God. The person of Jesus is the Son of the Father only by the plan of salvation. The Father is the source. The Son is the channel in submission for efficiency, as chapter 2, verse 18 clearly says. He says, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father, both Jew and Gentile, by one Spirit to the Father, but through whom? Through Jesus Christ. He is the channel. Now, look at verse 15. God is the Father of the whole family in heaven and in earth. This is who he's praying to. He is responsible as the source for the family of God the, in a paternal sense through our new birth. From whom? Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again or you will never see the kingdom of God. That requirement has never changed. That's why the gospel can be preached to every generation, any generation, whenever, wherever. Why? The message is consistent. You must be born again or you will never enter the kingdom of God. You must repent or you will die in your sins. It's always consistent. It's always the same. Paul has blessed the Father for predestinating us to adopted sons in chapter 1 verse 5. He's the source. He's the Father. He is the one Father of all, who all, and above all. Chapter 4, verse 6 tells us. Now, this does not mean that the fatherhood of God is all-inclusive of all men. Paul says in Acts 17, 28, in Mars Hills, in Him we move, we breathe, we have our being. We're all related to God as the Creator and the creature. But certainly, we must take that step of salvation and repentance to become children of God and he being father to us. Notice he includes those in heaven and in earth. Those who have already died and gone to heaven, as well as those who are still here as a witness of his glory on earth. The family is much bigger than the now generation. The family is much bigger than what we see here on earth. The family is universal. Those who have already died in faith and are present before God and those who are presently living by faith as witnesses of God. So in a sense, the visible church is not the real, complete church. But the universal church encompasses those who are with him and those who are still here. And he is the father of both who have died in faith and live in faith. And there's a common denominator. The idea here is that of oneness as a family through the new birth. Now Daniel sought God through prayer at the end of the captivity. And he was much like Paul, so overwhelmed. Here he is close to 90 years old. And he, he, he knows according to the books of Jeremiah that the captivity is almost up. And he's excited. And he's praying with 
humility and ashes and sackcloth, and he's going before the Lord. And Daniel includes himself as one of the problem. We have sinned. And he acknowledges the greatness of God, and he reveres him, and he humbles himself, and God answers him. This is Paul bowing his knee before the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, knowing who it is that he comes before. Each of us should be moved to prayer as we reflect on all that God has done for us, our families, and our friends. We come because we have confidence in who he is and what he's done for us. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Coming to God knowing that he hears, knowing who he is. He's bigger than my problem. He's bigger than my situation. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know that I have confidence in him as I cast myself upon him. My prayers are to be always to the Father in Jesus' name. Some people have a hard time with this, but listen to the words of Jesus in John 16, 23. In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Years ago, there was a young man in the fellowship. As I was teaching through Ephesians in depth, we came to this verse, and I shared that you cannot go directly to the Father, that you must go to the Father in Jesus' name, and he answers your prayers. He was quite upset at me, thinking that I was teaching heresy, and that why couldn't he go straight to the Father? And I gave him a simple answer. Jesus said, that you go to the Father in his name. He is the mediator. His is the name. Ask the Father in my name. And that's the chain of command that he's given to us. And I know sometimes we get mixed and we say, well, Father, just, you know, and we just buy. And God understands all those things, but as we grow in knowledge, we need to understand what the Scriptures teach. We go to the Father and ask him in the name of Jesus. And we have access. He already said that in chapter 2, verse 18, by one spirit. The spirit came not to speak of himself, not to glorify himself, but to speak of Jesus. To take us to the Father. So this is Paul's introduction of love. This is what motivates him. His love for God. His awe of all that he's done. Remember, the first three chapters is the wealth of the believer by the love of God. Paul is overwhelmed. Now notice, secondly, the intercession of the prayer. Paul prayed that God would grant them, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Intercession is the area of prayer that takes others in view instead of self. Paul is interceding for them. He's not thinking about himself. That's important. The measure is according to the riches of his glory, or literally, in proportion to his riches. And we've talked about his riches. Chapter 1, verse 7, verse 18, 2, 4, 2, 7. They're all over this epistle. The means is to be strengthened with might through what? Through his spirit. And the word strengthened simply means to be made strong. The word is in opposition to becoming faint, losing heart in verse 13 at the hearing of Paul's imprisonment. Remember, he began, he opened up 
verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. And he goes on. Then he gets to verse 13. He says, Therefore, I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. What tribulation? He's in prison. He's not at the Marriott. He's in Rome. And you guys are all bummed out for me. Listen, don't faint. This is the exhortation. He's praying that they be strengthened. Now, the Philippians came to the same conclusion, and Paul says, listen, why are you guys all bummed out? Don't be, you know, don't feel sorry for me. I'm here by appointment. And by the way, some are thinking to add affliction to my chains, and they're preaching Christ, and some are being courageous, thinking that I'm in here preaching, so they're preaching too. But what do I care as long as Christ is being preached? And by the way, some of the Praetorium Guard, they say, hi, they've been born again. I'm here by appointment. Amazing man, huh? Notice the manner is by the might of the Holy Spirit. The word might is dunamis. means inherent power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its own nature or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. Man in his own natural state does not have this able power. The might here is focused upon the Spirit of God. Through the Spirit of God, His might. Man in his new nature has access to that power, but he does not have the power in and of himself. That's important. Sometimes we get cocky and we think because we can do this and all that, and we start going on our own, depending on ourselves. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. All things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. The things that he calls me to do, he'll give me the strength. That doesn't mean I have the strength to do anything I want. But those things that he calls me to do, he supplies the means by which to fulfill it. This inherent power is of the Holy Spirit. The result of strengthening is to be through the Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Zechariah 4, 6, right? There's the key. This is the part of the riches of God's glory, the work of his spirit for his sons and daughters. It's his glory, not ours. The inherent power of the Holy Spirit marks the life of what? The life of the spirit in the believer. He's already talked to us about that in chapter 1, verse 19, 21, 3, 7, 3, 16. He's going to talk about it also in 3, 20. It's life in the Spirit. Now notice the man referred to is the inner man. Underline inner, inner man. The inner man is in contrast to the outer man, the spiritual to the mere physical. Paul the Apostle tells the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So the inner man is the spiritual man. The outer man is the physical man. This old tent is changing. And it's changing faster as the years go by. When we're younger, the change is slow. When you get older, the change is more rapid. The inner man, hopefully, in the same amount of time that's going forward, is being renewed. It's growing. Getting more stronger. More mature. The Greeks defined the inner man by three things. Reason or intellect for discernment, conscience or emotions for duty, and will or volition for decision. Intellect, emotions, and will. The inner man. 
And how you express that will be through the vehicle of your body. No other way. The inner man is the new man. You have that contrast also. Old man, new man. Paul the Apostle in Romans 7, says, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Same thing, inner man. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of Christ or him who created him. Colossians 3.10. So you have the inner man, the outer man, the new man, the old man, the spiritual man, the natural man. They're all contrasts identifying the two natures. Notice secondly in verse 17, Paul prayed that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. This would be the result of the empowerment of the inner man. It doesn't just happen through the process of osmosis or through wishful thinking. The word dwell is composed of two words. It means to live at home and down. It means to settle down at home and be at home. This is the desire of God for the believer, that Christ may dwell at home in his heart as he yields to the Spirit of God. That's the only way he feels comfortable in my home. If I'm grieving the Spirit of God, which he'll tell us we're not to do later on, then he doesn't feel comfortable. You, I, I propose that, that you've, you've gone some places at, at one time or another where they've, you've been invited to a home and, and when you walked in, you, you, you thought it was okay, but then after a while you weren't very comfortable and you couldn't wait to leave. Your whole visit was, was not at home. And then you've gone to other homes where you sit and time just flies and all of a sudden, wow, it's late, I got to go. And you fell right at home. This is the picture God wants to be at home in your life, in your heart, and in mine. But the condition is, as we yield to him, as he lives through us, notice the manner by which this dwelling of Christ in our hearts, being at home, is by the yielding to the Holy Spirit, as we have pointed out, but it is through faith that we take hold of the might of the Spirit. Through faith. Too often we think of the fill, being filled with the Spirit and the power and the might by like plugging in like an extension cord. It's not what it's about. It's opening my life to the Lord so that He can have all of me. It's not something I can just turn on and off as a plug. It's something that I must yield to because it's ever-present. The word faith means conviction of truth regarding anything. The belief of conviction respecting man's relationship to God and the divine things of God generally with the inclusion and the idea of trust and holy fervor born of faith. That which comes from the scriptures. This word faith is used throughout the epistle here in chapter 1, verse 15, 2, 8, 3, 12, 3, 17, 4, 5, 4, 13, 6, 16, 6, 23. Faith. You begin by faith, you continue in faith, and you finish by faith. No other way. And by the way, you can't boast of that faith. He's told us that in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 already. It's not of ourselves, not of works. Any man should boast. This is the very same way we're saved. That's how we come across this might. The very same way. I, I suspect that none of us had a hard time believing God that he would forgive us. And we never argue with him. We yield to that. But we're to yield to the very same way for his might. The same way we came to faith in Christ no different you remember that angels visited 
Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. They didn't feel at home too much over there. But God and the angels visited Abraham, and they were very much at home. How does Jesus feel in your heart? Does he feel at home, or does he not? Pastor Xavier Reese with the most important question, one that will help define your eternity. And there's more to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, you can pick up a copy of this message. The title to ask for is Prayer to Be Like Christ. It's available on CD for only $4. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through listening. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Prayer to Be Like Christ, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. How do you define the love of God? That's coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.